The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. This is part two of the Mega Wednesday Pod. If you missed part one, I talked to Jacko about the Baseball Hall of Fame and the fact that he has uh, already emotionally moved on from the 2015 Yankees. He threw in the towel. I couldn't believe it. Uh, part two right now, Zach Lowe, Grantland's NBA guru. He's going to be on the Grantland Basketball Hour, January 19th, Martin Luther King, Monday, 5 p.m. ESPN. Set your DVRs. Get ready for that. And he's on the podcast right now. What is happening? It never stops. The madness never stops. It's It's been a great season from – and every night there seems to be a game that I enjoy standpoint. And I would, I would dare say I cannot remember another season where night after night after night I get sucked into a game that's really, really enjoyable. Would you agree with that? Well, when the Pistons are winning at the buzzer in San Antonio – you know it's a good season. Uh, I mean, it's it, like you said. Every night there's like it, it's 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 wide open. It's crazy, and there are new storylines every week. It's it's un, it's been a really fun season. Yeah, last night you had two games. You had Phoenix at Milwaukee, and you had Detroit at San Antonio. Those should not be two good games, and yet both of them were wildly enjoyable. And, yeah, and and this piston story. See, now we feel vindicated. You and I. We were back in Stan Van Gundy. We we're like, hey, look, I I know that's a weird roster. I'm going to trust Stan, and now he has a real chance to get the eight seed. Well, their luck. It's good that they're playing well because it, it will erase the fact that it was still the wrong way to handle it in terms of the cap. Um, but yes. yeah, I mean, it, it's very much like the Rudy Gay from Toronto trade where it's like, it's not rocket science. If you, if the guy on your team that's taking the most shots is shooting like 38%, you're going to be better without that guy. And some of this is unsustainable. Like Brandon Jennings has lost his mind yep. over the last 10 days, but they're, you know, look, getting the eighth seed in the East is not hard. They're, they're going to be in the conversation. It looks like. Well, from what I heard, there was a little bit of a, Stan bringing into Brandon Jennings in the office and being like, look, you're going to be next. Shape up. Wow. Get it going. And whether that happened in a conversation or it was implied or whatever, I think when you have two terrible contracts on your team that are wildly underperforming and one of those guys basically just gets fired, it's going to encourage the other guy to maybe pick it up, right? Maybe uh, a little kick in the butt, tiny bit. I mean, he was kicking Brandon's butt one week into the season, you know, it shouldn't have taken the Josh Smith thing and maybe, but he's also just hitting crazy step back threes and like, like falling out of bounds in the corner. I mean, Brandon Jennings, this is the best stretch of Brandon Jennings career shooting wise, but he has three or four game spans where he just does crazy stuff. His contract's not so bad. It expires that next year. It's eight, three. I mean, it's not, he's not that good, but yeah, they've been They're They're running They're They're sharing the ball. It's been fun to watch. Jody Meeks came back. Who knew that was going to be that that great? But yeah, they had the. I mean, I don't want to talk about this for that long. But there's six playoff teams <laughs> in the East. There's six playoff teams in the East, and there's two spots open. And Brooklyn and Miami are there right now. Miami is one injury away from Wade, which is almost definitely going to happen. I don't see that guy getting through the rest of the season without getting hurt again. Um, they, it's probably going to be in the 36 to 38 win range. And you have Indiana kind of lurking. They have 14 wins right now. Orlando is just determined not to get in there. And is is now that Ty Corbin is back in the league, they don't have the title anymore of having the worst day-to-day coach team in the league, but they're in the conversation. Celtics have checked out. Charlotte 
unless they make a trade, I just don't see it. But Detroit's kind of lurking. It would be really fun if Detroit made the playoffs and the whole Josh Smith. And I, I like everything about this. I really enjoy this story, you know. Stan dropping the F-bomb last night on television was great. It was great. It broke uh, Twitter. Uh, he's uh, he's no, they're look. I mean, it's like Brooklyn is 16 and 18 and they're like a juggernaut in this race for the seventh and eighth spots in the Eastern mm. Conference. I mean, I, you, and you got it. Indiana. They've played hard. They've never stopped playing. Their point differential is like basically their record. They should probably be a little bit closer to 500 than they are They're They have really fought hard and uh, Charlotte's going to keep fighting. I mean, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see right now. Brooklyn and Miami are in there. But, you know, look, try, try, uh, try not to get too excited about this race for the seventh and eighth spots in the East. Try to contain yourself. Is Frank Vogel a coach of the year candidate for being 14 and 22 at this Indiana team? I mean, he's not a, he's not a real candidate, but because well, probably should be <laughs> coaches, coaches with that record don't get into this race, but they've, they've, They've played really hard, and and not only – I mean, they've had all the injuries, but, like, Hibbert got injured for a week and a half, and then when he came back, he was clearly not ready and had a terrible – so they've, like – they've missed a lot of guys. David West hasn't been, like, blowing anyone away with the way he's been playing. I mean, they just – they're the kind of team you watch them win a game, and you're like, I don't know how that – I don't really know how that – I just watched that whole game, and I'm not sure how that happened. I think Chris Copeland may have had a couple of buckets at the end. Like, you just don't know what the hell is going on with them, but they play hard. Work. They're just well coached. They certainly don't have any more talent than, say, the Knicks did this year. But um, if you just for guys who have actually played this season, CJ Miles is their leading scorer, which is amazing. And even more amazing, he's only averaging 12.2 points a game. He comes um, off the bench. I, I saw Atlanta on Monday night. I emailed you about this, but I wanted to cover it again. I, and I've been impressed with them on TV. And I, I, I went out of my way to go to the game, even though I didn't want to. It was a Monday night. I want to hang out with the fam, but I was like, you know what? I got to see Atlanta because I certainly don't want to see this Clippers team. The, the Clippers are, are so much less fun to watch in person than you think they're going to be. But uh, I was just so impressed by Atlanta. They're so well coached. They have pieces that fit together. They have guys who play well together and make sense when you watch them. Uh, Schrader is a Schroeder, Schrader, Schroeder, whatever you want to pronounce it. That guy's... That guy's going to be a really good basketball player, and he's already kind of effective off the bench. They're, I don't like the Mike Scott spot. I think that's the one spot they need to fix, but it's a legitimate 26-8, and eight, and they can go inside-outside. Corver's a freaking machine. Um, I just really like them. At what point do we start having real conversations about the fact that they might be in the conference finals? Uh, why not the finals? Man, why not? I don't know. I mean, I, I, now the, the answer is now. I mean, there's no reason uh, with the way. I mean, I don't know why couldn't they make the finals. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why not. Uh, Chicago. I think. I think we're all assuming Chicago. Chicago would be tough. And Cleveland are going to be the favorites, but I think Cleveland is past the point now where you can assume that you can't. And Chicago. See, I, I don't think Cleveland is in that conversation. I would be. No, shocked that's if what they I meant. The they finals. might. They, yeah. They might not be in the conversation anymore. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Toronto, Atlanta, I mean, Washington, maybe, but like, I don't, it, it's not crazy that any of those teams could be in the finals. I, I still think Chicago, I love the Bulls. I love the roster. I think they're probably the favorites, but Noah and Rose have not been healthy and productive at the same time, hardly at all this year. Yeah. And they need to be, well, they might need to be, I don't know. They're already playing pretty damn well, but for them to be a title contender, they need both of those guys to kind of get rolling a little bit more. 
Um, but boy, Miritich, huh? I think Miritich is the rookie of the year right now. It's it's uh, it's him or Wiggins and really nobody else. And Miritich playing on a team that actually has players and is is trying to win games. Well, not I mean, Minnesota's trying. I don't mean it that way. But I, Miritich and, no, and they, they've had him at the three the last few games because of injuries, and he's actually done okay there. It, he's he's. Uh, he changes the the dynamic for them. But yeah, no, we can talk about Atlanta making the finals right now. They're legit. I love Meritich. Meritich is is unquestionably the rookie of the year right now, unless Wiggins keeps ripping off these 20-point oh, yeah, games. Wiggins, I was going to say, Wiggins has made it a question at least in the last two weeks. He's been playing really, really well. For his, He'd his, have to David, play that well the rest of the season, though, I think, to make it a real thing. Because Meritich is playing crunch time for an excellent team and having a real impact for them to the point that... He's actually, in a weird way, presenting problems for them. I don't think they expected him to be this important. And he, he kind of has to be out there in big games, right? In the last five minutes, like, it, 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 you can't avoid having him out there. And, well, I think at the very least, it gives them a more flexibility, right? I mean, if they're up by eight with four minutes left, and everyone's healthy, I still think you're going to see a lot of the Noah Gibson combination, which has not played yep. a lot of minutes together this year. But if you're down four or it's tied or you you don't know what you need more, offense or defense, he's made them think about it. And that's one of those things where, like, you know, maybe an injury earlier in the season kind of helps you a little bit because I'm not sure this happens without Gibson and Noah missing some time here or there. And they, they were forced yeah. to play Miritich a lot, and now they, they trust him. I'm... I just think Chicago is clearly the best team in the East. And as long as they can get Rose on two legs in the playoffs, giving them a B minus, I mean, he could even give them a C plus and I think they'd win the conference, but to, just to watch, first of all, the reinvigorated pal um, who was on cruise control, a la Rondo for the last two years. And I totally get it. I think the Lakers just broke his will starting with that trade that got aborted and, and just everything. I think he just checked out um, and he's reinvigorated, but to watch a team play him and Noah on crunch time and then say, Oh, actually, you know, what we're going to do right now. We'll bring in Taj Gibson for one of these guys. Like it's ridiculous. We haven't seen some, we haven't seen a three man monster at the four or five spot like that in a while. I'm trying to, when, when has a team been that deep with with that much quality in those two spots? I can't even remember. Well, I'd I'd have to think about it. But Pow's old team, when they had Odom and Bynum and everybody was healthy, was pretty damn good. I guess, um, but they used to play all three of them at the same time, right? Rarely you know? by the end. Rarely by the end. There was a playoff when they, series. When they got old, yeah, yeah. When in Odom's last year, where they had to do it and it didn't work out very well. But um, yeah, no, there's. I, I was worried that somebody was always going to be unhappy. You know, especially Powell. I don't think Powell will ever get used to sitting on the bench in the last four minutes of a game. But it feels like they, they've worked all of that out and the guys are pulling for each other. I haven't seen the body language doctor has not seen any sort of animosity for who's sitting at what time. And uh, it's it's they're just really good, I think. I, I love the roster. I think, you know, there are some wrinkles to iron out just like there are with any team. I mean, I think they if anything, I think they overpost Powell a little bit sometimes. But part of that may be that they're trying to ease Derrick Rose back into being a lead dog and, and to just have the Powell post game as like a safety valve or a place to run the offense through for a while is useful for them. But I've, I've said from the beginning, you know, that I love the roster. I love the way the pieces fit and I just hope they're healthy. And if they are, I might pick them to win the championship. I just think they're, and, and we haven't even said the words Jimmy Butler yet. The guy's been unbelievable. He's in the MVP discussion 
kind of bottom tier of it if you want to go through the first 10 guys. But they've been hey, – look, no, the, 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 Bulls, the Bulls are the Bulls, man. They're going to be there in the end. Butler's in the discussion. I did not see the Butler thing coming. I never thought he'd be able to create his own shot like that. I feel like I watch young players. I always try to project them. Did not see that element of his game from the first couple of years. I mean, if anything, like you'd watch the Bulls, especially when Rose was out, and you think, oh, man, poor Jimmy Butler. They're putting him in this spot where he's just not that guy. And then, and then he just kind of became that guy. And I, I still don't fully understand how it happened. Do you? Well, I mean, part of it is that Derrick Rose was out, and he got to stretch himself a little bit. And, and now that he's back, he can ease off on some things and others. But look, he's explosive. He can get to the rim. He draws fouls. He reminds me a little bit of Paul George where he's not – great at any kind of shot creation but he can do mm. a little bit of everything like he can run a pick and roll just well enough to get a mid-range shot or or maybe get to the rim if the lane's open he can come off little pin down screens and hit mid-range jumpers either off the catch or off one dribble he's not like a, an a at any of that stuff but he's like a b at a lot of it and and i think that's why it's sort of hard to figure out like how is he doing this because it's just a little of everything um but yeah you know i you know look He's he's going to get maxed out by someone, and the Bulls fans better hope it's the Bulls. He's a max guy. There's no question. Um, one of the best contract runs I can remember where before this season you're thinking like, ooh, well, maybe he's worth 10 if Alec Burks is worth a lot. You know, you have to start having those conversations. And now it's like, yeah, if this guy's in the market, I want my team to pay the max for him. And this is a rare chance, especially at a position that has turned into either – you have a couple elite players, a bunch of role players, and then just kind of different pieces that do different things. But there's not a lot of two-way two guards right now. And he's young and, and he cares. And also a great story. I, I would say he's the NBA's number one human interest story. Can you top Jimmy Butler's story? I almost feel like they don't exploit it enough. Uh there are a lot of good human interest stories in the NBA. If you better start than digging. Jimmy Butler? No, no, I'm not saying better. I just I'm not. I don't want to just declare him the best without thinking We'd about it. We have to it, think but, about that. You're right. We yeah. should actually try to figure this out. It's. It, I'd be hard pressed to find a better one. You know, I was just looking. We were talking. I was looking at Rose's stats, and Rose is really kind of the monkey wrench for this team going the other way. Like, if you're going to make the case of why they're not going to make the finals or why they're not the contender, he just hasn't played that well. I mean, the eye test. He's got some of most of his explosiveness back now, but the shooting is just awful. You know, he's, he's a 30% three point shooter. He takes five to six a game. Um, he's just not efficient. And that's, it, it feels like a career that's going the wrong way. Have you seen any glimpses from him to make you think that he could ever get back to that MVP level? Uh, I mean, MVP level, no, but, uh, they don't need him to get back to an MVP level. Uh, look, he's taking too many threes, too many long jumpers, more than he did in his prime. Uh, but glimpses, absolutely. I mean, when the Bulls are rolling, he gets them two or three buckets or or maybe even extended four or five chances in transition that yep. they would not otherwise get. And that's what their offense needs. Their offense isn't good enough to win 16 playoff games without getting those points or those chances every single game. And he gets them that, and no one else on the team can really get them that. And the other thing is, one of the one of the sport view guys sent me this stat today. Um, his I, I or yesterday, I gotta look it up. It's like he's his drives per quarter is like five 
five five eleven or like drives per mm. son. I don't know what it is. It's like I, I'll I'll find it while we're talking. But he, he like his getting to the basket skyrockets in the fourth quarter, which which and we've seen him hit a couple of big baskets um, late in games. It's drive drives per thirty six minutes by quarter. Okay, so I understated a little bit. 6.6 first quarter, 9.4 second quarter, 5.5 third quarter, 11.1 fourth quarter. That suggests to me that he's got a gear he can get to. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there, there's something there. The, the fact that, that when, they're get, when they get close, he can get to the basket more is interesting to me. I've noticed it watching them. I do feel like he, he can create contact at the end of games and that he does... I don't, yeah, whether it's a gear or whether it's just something he does, wants to save for certain moments, that's going to be really valuable for them if they get the one seed and they're playing playoff home games because you get those calls and you need that guy who's going to create contact. They have two guys actually who, you know, Gasol, it's been his, one of his best skills over the years is has a knack of just getting people leaning the wrong way or jumping a split second too early and he always gets those calls. And they, I think if they get home court, which they, I would say they're one of the favorite. It's really hard for me to believe Atlanta's going to win 60 games. Why is it so hard to believe? They're uh, on pace I, to win 60 games. I mean, I'm not. I, I Look, I've been driving the Hawks bandwagon for a year. But for 60 least. games? 60 wins? Well, no, this is what I'm going to say. I sat here all summer and begged all the superstar players, like, will you see what's going on in Atlanta? Do you see how they play? Do you see how you would fit to be perfect? I don't I don't think this team is quite as good as their record. I just I don't trust their defense yet. I don't trust their lack of rim protection. They're doing it with just uh, on their offense is legit. Their defense is just is is veteran smarts, a, a good system players who work on a string and understand each opponent and, and each, each tendency and all of that. I, I just, I don't think they're, they're this good defensively overall for the full season. I, I don't quite trust it. I think they're really, really good. I, I just, I will see, maybe I'm wrong. I just don't think, I don't know what they are in defense. I'll have to look it up. I mean, I feel like they're sixth or seventh probably, but I, I just don't see them as that good. One of the things I like about them not not just a really unselfish team, which is such a key part. You just look at any really good playoff team with the exception of, you know, the, the OKC aberration, um, just the unselfishness. But also, like, you just go guy by guy. Nobody takes bad shots on that team, you know? You, they don't have the Josh Smith guy. They don't have the Jamal Crawford, I'm trying to be a heat check guy all the time guy. It's just everybody just takes the right shots. And it's a weird thing to say, but... That's who they are. They just play correctly. And so it's almost like you what you look at the individual players and you're like, well, who's the, I guess Horford's the best player. Well, maybe Millsap. Millsap's one of those guys you see in person. He never, he doesn't blow you away. And then you look up and he has, it's the third quarter and he has 18 points. And you're like, whoa, whoa, Millsap has 18? He's just kind of steady. It's a steady team that does the right things. And I think that that's going to count in the playoffs because they're going to be going against teams that especially a team like Cleveland, that's just so erratic and up and down, you know, I, I think they'd have an advantage. This was a point I wanted, I, I wanted to make in my Toronto piece and I forgot to, and it's almost so obvious that you, it, it's, it's not a good point, but it's a, it's a fundamentally great point. Someone was telling me this, another front office guy was telling me this yesterday about Toronto. It's like the power of having 
no bad players in your rotation. Like no guys who are just a complete glaring liability in any yeah. obvious way. Like Toronto, like I, Kyle Lowry is a star. There's no question about it. But even they just don't, all their players are just like, they got a lot of average to like above average players. And that's what the Hawks are. They have a lot of good to very good players. And no one who's like, I mean, you mentioned Schroeder, Schroeder before. It's like, he's good. And like Shelvin Mack is kind of not good. And just that little upgrade, like even Mike Scott, who you said you don't like, Mike Scott does enough that he's like a good fourth big man, third, fourth big man, whatever he is. Like they have no one who you look at on the court like, okay, I can ignore that guy. Or that guy's so bad defensively that I can just go right at him. They have no one like that. And there's, there's a certain power in having no one like that ever get on the floor for your team. I don't. I don't mind Mike Scott. It just feels like that's the spot they could upgrade. If you're, if you're, because I wouldn't mess with the starting five. I wouldn't mess with Schroeder, Schroeder, Schroeder. Uh, I love, I love uh, the taken three villain, Piro. <laughs> that guy's he's great. Like, <laughs> he's the best, and and he's just every time he shoots a three, it seems ridiculous until it goes in. Uh, but I, I like the team and Toronto. You know, that's an, both of these teams. I think Washington's a complete team. I, Washington is what it is. I don't see them making a trade. Atlanta and Toronto are two teams that still have a trade to make. And and I'll be interested to see who that person is. There's going to be a lot of guys available. Um, we should talk what you wrote about the uh, you wrote about the three-team trade, which is a, a, a pretty bizarre trade. But freaking Presti's just sitting there, and he just kind of snares Deion Waiters. And you and I are in the Deion Waiters. You called it Deion Waiters Island. I have a I have a nice house in the water on Dean Waiters Island. He's gonna have a moment at some point in his career. I don't know what team it's on. It probably won't even be OKC, but at some point he's gonna have a moment on the right team. I believe in Dion Waiters. The moment might be Russell Westbrook murdering him on the court. I mean that <laughs> well, might that, that might that would be that might moment. be the moment. <laughs> That's what I don't like. That it's the wrong team for him. I understand why they did it. And it now allows them to get a month-long look at him. And if he's good enough, then they'll just trade Reggie Jackson, I assume, for whatever else they need and to get under the tax. But I, the part I don't get, why didn't the Knicks just cut OKC out and and just get Deion Waiters out of it? Why wouldn't the Knicks what, want Deion Waiters? What, what am I missing with that? Well, I mean, they didn't want they didn't want money, right? I mean, they wanted all the cap relief they could get, and they got it. And he's a for who? Million, who are they million. saving cap? Who, who who is coming to New York? Who? Well, I mean, that's the, this is the question we talk about every podcast, right? I mean, like they more than any team in the league, they should understand. Here's what happens when you get the fifth best max free agent on the market. You get Amari Stoudemire, and three years later, you're like, oh my god. Uh, this didn't didn't really work out. Now, this summer might be the one time where there's kind of an exception to that because of the way the cap is going to jump in the next summer. The max contract this summer that you lock up for a long term might not be so bad. But yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, we could talk about Zuri Pockets. I don't know who's going there. I mean, obviously, the name Marcus Hole has been mentioned for a year now. Um, and my, I mean, my theory, my thoughts for them and the Lakers have always been like, I don't know the player that's in a good situation that's going to say what I really want to do for the next five years of my career is watch Kobe Bryant or Carmelo Anthony take all the shots and win 40 games. Like, I just don't, I, I don't know who that is, but they'll get someone. But if, it, if it's the sixth best free agent on the market, I mean, the Knicks just saw what the ceiling of that scenario is. Yeah, like Marcus Saws can be like, oh yeah, I just looked at Kobe, uh, Carmelo's career stats. So he peaked the last two years, and this year 
He's been hurt. He's on a bad knee. He takes too many shots. He's going to be 31 next year. Sign me up. Oh, and you have no no other players. Oh, that sounds great. I'm in. What are oh, the, Jose what are Calderon's the, there. That'll be awesome. Great. Come what, on. What He's are, not leaving what are, Memphis. What are these un? Do you see the Bleacher Report uninterrupted video of Mello sitting on an ugly couch, like a with like a paisley kind of pattern, just talking to the camp? What are those? Are those a regular thing now? So when he, all he these was, guys, like, he's like, "Hey, this is Mello." Well, I know. I'm looking at the video. You don't have to introduce yourself. You're not. You're Mello on an ugly couch, and he just like talks about the Knicks. Is that a thing that's happening now? All these guys, all these NBA stars, are trying to be more than NBA stars, and it's pretty funny. You know, like uh, Chris Paul, Carmelo, Durant has that HBO show. All these guys, all these guys are trying to do all these other things. Hey, Chris Paul, here's an idea. Play hard for an entire game that I go to. Could you do that? I've been to six Clipper games this year and you pick which half you're going to try hard in. And you can't tell me you're not doing that because I'm going to the games. How about playing two halves in a row? That seems like a good idea. And how about filming less commercials? And how about making round three? Like, I think these are valid complaints about Chris Paul at this point. This is a guy that everybody just blindly writes in as he's the best point guard in the league. And yet I'm going to the games and he's taking entire halves off. How can you be the best point guard in the league when you're not playing hard for the whole game? Can you see this on TV or am I just seeing this in person? Uh, I mean, I, I think Chris Paul, you love Chris Paul. I think you're being a little harsh on him, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's picked his spots for a while now. That's what happens when you get to 29 or 30 and you've had knee problems and other issues. And, you know, look, he's still having an unbelievable statistical season uh, and for a really good team. I mean, I'm a little higher on them than you are, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm much lower on them than you are. And I think, I, I think if you go through their schedule, some of the, some of the quote unquote good wins they've had, they've gotten lucky. You know, like they caught OKC without Durant, Westbrook, played Miami without Wade, stuff like that. Um, I just know what I'm seeing. In, like they, they, their bench is a, a, an atrocity. That is the worst bench of any playoff team. Um, there are five guys that they play in crunch time. Don't really, I don't know if that's a great crunch time lineup. I think they have real defensive problems. I don't know if Blake and Chris Paul love playing with each other. I don't know if they love playing for Doc. On Monday night, Blake and Doc went at it. You know, I went to a game three weeks ago and Spencer Hawes and Doc went at it. Like these guys are yelling at their coach during games. He's yelling back at them. It's weird. I I don't see anybody yelling at buds on the Atlanta Hawks. You know, like I I feel like there's real problems here. All this said, they have the third best offense in the NBA and they're 23 and 12. Like I agree with you. I've, when I did my little Western conference power rankings, I put them at number seven because all these questions are out there and they're real. And the West is just that good. Um, Yeah. I, I you you I think are are even open to the possibility that they miss the playoffs and uh, the way Phoenix is playing, Phoenix is 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 sticking in the race and yes and is playing really really well and that's another one of the Clippers wins when they got that Blake crazy buzzer beater over Phoenix. I went to that uh, game. That was a joke of a win. That shot goes in one out of a hundred times. Well, but it went in that time, so the win it is did. a win, right? And Phoenix will get a win like that somewhere down the road. You know that kind of stuff evens out, but. Uh, so it's not insane to think that one of the top seven is going to have to fight a little bit harder than we think. Plus OKC. Uh, I still think those are the eight that are going to end up making it. But uh, you know, I, if you're going to look at a team with a downside and be a little scared, I think the Clippers might be um, the right team. Although I'll tell you, I don't know. Santana. I don't know. I, I was going to say, I don't know when you have to start worrying. <laughs> it's now. 
I don't think it's, it's right now. now. I, no, I don't it's think right it's, now. They're that, 21 and 15, and Kawhi's that back for two more weeks. It's right now you start worrying. And they're just – I don't know what the hell is going on there. Pop has already set – Pop has, I think, already set a career high for cranky timeouts, like just one possession into the half timeout, one possession after the last timeout timeout. Fud the hockey substitutions. It's just like it's a very weird – like the Spurs are always in like, we're just trying stuff. This is a, lo- yeah. a laboratory, blah, blah, blah. But like it's, it's stepped up a little bit this year to like weird places. And I'm still not worried about them because they have earned more benefit of the doubt than anyone. And no Kawhi's, Kawhi's coming back. They're going to be well rested. They're deep and they're, they're playing. They've already punted a bunch of games with DNP rest. I mean, whatever. They're the Spurs. But they're only two games in the loss column up on New Orleans, three on Oklahoma City, one on Phoenix, and, like, Kawhi's not back. Splitter's barely back, uh, sort of easing himself back in. Tony Parker is in and out. He's in, then he's out and sits the second half, and it's just a weird vibe there right now. And losing to Detroit at home wasn't a must-win game, but it would have been nice to win it, especially it's with a bad, the way it's the a bad West loss. has gone. It's a bad loss. And they, here's the thing I'll say about the Spurs. I've learned not to go against the Spurs infrastructure. I've been burned multiple times, so you can never count them out. But NBA history says when it goes, it goes. And it goes faster and more abruptly and more perplexingly than you think it did. And you can go through anybody. You can go through the 88 Celtics. You can go through the 91 Pistons who went and went and went in the playoffs. Or you can look at like the 2011 Lakers where back-to-back titles, they get swept by Dallas in round one. Was it round one or round two? I think maybe it was round two. But... It goes fast, and it never seems like it's going to happen. But when it happens, you're like, oh, wow, that was fast. So I I would just be careful if I was the Spurs. And and we were emailing about this this morning. Phoenix is not going away. Phoenix had that five-game losing streak in mid-December, and they lost two of the – they had two of the worst losses of the year, that Clippers game and then I think a Milwaukee game that was equally ridiculous. Chris Middleton hit a bank shot to win the game. Right. Buzzer. Those were arguably the two, two of the five worst losses of the year, just in terms of how the hell did we lose that game? So Phoenix rips off nine of 11 after that. And the two losses, December 30th, they play New Orleans. Tyreek gets hot in the last couple of minutes. I watched that game. That was an either or game. Uh, Next night, Oklahoma city overtime, 137, 134, like one of the secret great games of the season. New Year's Eve. Yeah, we're and so it's West Coast time, my time. We're supposed to go to a New Year's party, and my wife is dressed. You know when they're dressed? Once they're dressed, it always takes them 10 minutes longer than they say. But once they're dressed, it's like, we're ready. I'm leaving. And I was like, we got to wait. This game just went into overtime, and she's just sitting there seething for 15 minutes as this unbelievable overtime is happening. I'm like, you don't understand. We got to wait. This is one of the games of the year. I can't leave yet. But Phoenix Phoenix can play with anybody, and they've played only 16 games at home, 21 on the road. They're 21 and 16. I think they know who they are at this point. I think they get to 48, 49 wins. I think 28, they go 28 and 28 and 18, something like that. Or 28, 28 and 18, 29 and 18. Does that seem realistic to you? Yeah, they're good. I mean, in that five game losing streak, um, they didn't have Drogic or the six game losing streak. They didn't have Drogic for the whole time, I think. And, And since he's come back, they've taken off. I think they could use another big man. 
Um, Me too. Le- Len has done well. I like Len. Uh, Len is Len is going to be good. He's solid. Um, he's no Nurkic, but he's solid. <laughs> there there are just nights where he's going to foul too much and be out of the game quickly, or when when Hornacek isn't going to trust him, or when the matchup is going to be bad. And I think they could use another big, and they'll sniff around some. Um, Have you seen yeah. him in person yet? Len, uh, yeah, yeah, when they played the Knicks. Um, so. I, he was much longer than I expected in person, he's huge. and he's he more coordinated. He's a coordinated, really, really abnormally long guy. He's, and he's, I would and say he's an he's, asset. I would say he's nimble. He might be nimble yeah. for his size. Uh, he's yeah. again. He's no Nurkic. He's no Nurkic. Yusuf Nurkic uh, gobbling up rebounds. And by the way, Marcus Gasol, you see him talk trash in Marcus Gasol's face. Nurkic. Uh, I, I am. Uh, I am fully aware of all things Nurkic. And, I and love Gus- Nurkic, and and I'm, I'm actually starting to feel bad that he went a pick before the James Young fist pump pick, and now I'm thinking um, like, man, we missed out on your Nurkic by one pick. Uh, Nurkic is there was a, they played the Lakers a, maybe a week ago, and he got switched on to Kobe on one possession and stayed in front of Kobe, and I either Kobe either missed a jumper or even lost the ball and and fell over, and yeah. Nurkic. Talked trash right in his face as the teams were changing Love directions. He looked at him and shook his head as if like, yeah, that's right. And it's like, he just doesn't care. And that dude, and he's tough too. He, you don't want to mess with him. So uh, anyway, I don't know who, oh, Phoenix. Phoenix is good. They're legit. They're going to stick around. Um, well, let and- me throw this scenario at you. If we think Phoenix ends up around 48 wins, I really think that happens unless somebody gets hurt. We're going to trust the infrastructure on in San Antonio and, and give them 48 to 50. Just they're, they're, until they don't figure it out, we have to assume they're going to figure it out. Oklahoma's 17 and 18 right now. They need to go 33 and 14 to get to 50, which is doable if they're healthy. If they get one two-week injury to Durant or Westbrook, though, that doesn't happen, and, they, and now they're in real danger, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am not worried about them yet. Uh, I okay, do but now think- at least the door is open that Durant and Westbrook now have to play the rest of the season, I think, to make the playoffs. Just about. And I think yeah. that was always the case. And But now uh, it's definitely the case. I'm saying like that. that is now a fact. Now here's the Clippers, 23 and 12. Is it conceivable that they could go 24 and 21 the rest of the way? Remember, they've only played 15 road games. I was going to say they haven't, got had the a odd- major, they haven't had a major injury to anybody yet. They haven't had the Blake missing three weeks because of a sprained ankle, like none of that stuff. Their five guys have been healthy. Well, Hawes is, Hawes is big for them, and Hawes missed a lot of time. I mean, Hawes is, Hawes is big for them, just, just what we were talking about before. Like, if Hawes doesn't play, that means now you're entering the territory where you have too many just bad guys coming off the bench. Hawes isn't any great shakes, but he's pretty good. And he missed a lot of time. I just think that the Clippers are good. They've been good for, they win games. They win a lot of regular season games. I think they'll get in. I think they're safe, but you know, look, maybe things go badly chemistry wise. Maybe they get an injury. I mean, if the wrong guy gets hurt, those teams are going to be in trouble and it's got to be the wrong guy. It's, it can't be Jamal Crawford or JJ Redick. It has to be Blake or CP three, because that's what we're seeing with Portland and even Memphis. Memphis has withstood Zebo well enough. They're four and five yeah. in their last nine games. They're fine. Robin Lopez injury. You know, it's troublesome, but it's not like Portland has fallen apart. I mean, these teams are so good that they can withstand an injury to a rotation player. Who's not a superstar. Um, 
I think the Clippers are safe. I think the Clippers are safe. But, you know, look, it's it's a bloodbath out there. It can't not be in play. It's in play. And also, you I don't know if you've watched Spencer Hawes that closely lately. Oh, he's been bad. He's, he's been – he was – in that Monday night game, he was atrocious. And I feel like the last level of atrociousness is when fans are booing and yelling at you and, and, and you're playing a home game. And he, and he reached that level. It's the Fred Roberts level. I remember that happened to Fred Roberts in the late 80s Celtics, and he was just done. He was just finished him. He was never the same after the fans started booing when he came in. And, and Hawes has been so bad – and Doc Rivers literally cannot hide his disgust for Spencer Hawes' game. And especially on top of the fact that they should have signed Paul Pierce, which Doc is still claiming he made the right move. But um, if they don't get Spencer Hawes going, I think it's going to go the other way. And I think it's it's actually going to be a disaster because we're, we're heading that way with the way he's playing. Um, I, I really think 47 and 35 seems like a fair record for the team I've been watching lately. And the reason I care about this so much, other than the fact that I'd be bummed I didn't get to go to any playoff games, the Celtics have their first round pick and it's unprotected. They could be the 14th pick in the draft, Zach. Easy, easy. Don't get your hopes hopes up for this. Um, Zach, I'm going to get my hopes up. Get your hopes up. That's fine. Get your hopes up. Get my hopes up. I mean, that's what you have right now is hope. The Celtics have, they're going to have a top six pick. They're going to have this Clippers pick, which hopefully is good. They have Philly's number, uh, second round pick, which is going to be either 31 or 32. And they have their own second round pick. Plus they still have the Jeff Green trade to make. They might have five of the top 35 picks. It's a big, it's a big year. It's a big, it's a big (laughs) few years. For the Boston Celtics. Thank um, you. Some of Thanks. those picks will be Fab Mello, and some of them will be Jared Sollinger. Oh uh, so Mello. just get ready for the ride. I mean, not all of those things are going to work out. Uh, can I? Here's about the, the interesting thing about the Spurs, by the way. You mentioned when it goes, yeah. it goes. But it's yeah. not like it's not going the way you would expect it to go. Like that's the that's what's weird. To me. Tim Duncan is still unbelievable, um, yeah. and he's the oldest guy. Ginobili's about the same age, and he's not as good as he was last year. Like, he's having trouble finishing at the rim at his normal rate. But he's still pretty good shooting threes well. Like, you don't look at Ginobili and think, wow, he's he's in the tank now as he's aged out of being any good. It's like it's the other guys. Like, Diaw has weirdly just not not played up to the standards we saw in the yeah, playoffs. Splitter. Um, and, and Splitter and Parker just not being able to stay on the court. It's It's... It's it's strange, and I haven't caught them in person in quite a while, so I you know we'll see. But I mean, obviously, watch them a lot and know a lot of the guys with their team. But I, I don't get the sense that they're worried. But uh, Diaw shooting a lot of threes this year and not making them at a high rate, and just hasn't looked like. I mean, even even last night they had Tolliver on him for a long time, and you just went like, when are they going to go to Boris Diaw in the post where he can just eat this guy alive? And they never did. It's it's. But we know they'll turn it on. They're the Spurs, right? I mean, we have to continue working under that assumption. But it's been a strange, strange season for them. Well, as you said, the best thing in their favor is that Duncan still looks like Duncan, which is amazing. I mean, Duncan is now Duncan versus Kobe. Kobe had the upper hand for player of the generation. Then it was kind of even after 2013. Then Duncan kind of took the title after the last title. And now he's just extending the lead. Now now we're talking about one of the all-time freak careers not just to mention he's one of the top 10 players of all time, but 
him playing this well at this age after this many seasons and this many games and this many minutes is, other than Carl Malone, unheard of. Nobody's it, ever played this well after this many minutes. It's uh, we no one we're not appreciating it enough. And even if we say we're not appreciating it enough every day, it's still not going to be like he he's making a legitimate case for defensive player of the year. And it's not like yeah. a token. It's not like a token. You win the Oscar when you're old and you've lost the Oscar a million times kind of thing. It's like he is has a real case for it. And I haven't dug in quite enough to to say that he's the favorite, but he he's one of the top three to five candidates, period. Like he might win defensive player of the year and he's a million years old and he can't jump anymore. And right. he's still that good. It's it's absurd how good he is. It's absurd. And he also uh, I, he survived that triple OT slash overtime 48 hour gauntlet that his minutes really are seemed up. like. Yeah, that really seemed like that was going to be. Oh, man. Uh, they pushed him too far. That's going to be it, and he's still fine. Still yeah, they're, de- the they're December in terms of schedule strength and number of games, and then you tacked on a million overtimes, and that was that was as tough a month as an NBA team is ever going to have. Tim Duncan's playing, well, only t- two and a half more minutes per game. He's playing more minutes per game than he's played since 2009. Now, they've also sat him, I think, more times this year than they did in all of last year for DNP old or whatever they write now. Yeah. So that balances out, but he he's playing like he's carrying a big, big load for them. It's it's just absurd. Well, here's your best case for the Spurs other than the infrastructure. Um they played twenty five conference games already. Twenty five of thirty six conference games. As far nobody in the top nine has played as many conference games as them. To put that in perspective, Portland's played eighteen conference games. Dallas has played 17 conference games. The Clippers have only played 18 conference games. So when you're talking about that gauntlet of a schedule and the fact that it's it's a historically ridiculous conference, you wrote about that a couple of weeks ago. We just never seen anything like this. You're talking about um, nine of the best 13 teams in the league are all in the same conference, and it's also a top-heavy league this year. So I think those are all good signs for them. I added just what I'm watching um, – I think the Clippers are playing the ninth best out of all of these teams. And if I had to, we talked about this, Jalen and Jacoby and I did a podcast, gun to the head, who's making the finals right now. Just I know, guess I know right what now, you picked. I picked Memphis because I think if they make the trade, I think they're going to make, whether it's a Jeff Green type or whoever, some sort of swing man who, allow that, who can play a little three and a little four. They're one guy away. I love the way they play. And I think that's going to be the team. Well, that's the fast. That's the as we approach the trade deadline, and I, you know, we're already make, seeing trades, so I guess we're already there. Um, the Memphis Kufus and a, and their fir, and a future first is one of the great will they or won't they trade packages in the league, and may, maybe the best um, because well, it would certainly it would fetch the most, right? It's going to be Tyler Hansborough on a number one. It's going to be. Uh, whatever Atlanta has in number one, Atlanta's not going to put Schroeder, Schroeder, Schroeder on the table. Or Portland um, has the Portland. I mean, that's one of the interesting things to me is all these teams can talk themselves into. We might be a, a fourth option kind of piece away from being a li- having a little bit better championship odds, which which in last year, even if you're Portland, you just say, well, we we're probably can't beat San Antonio or or Oklahoma City in the final in the playoffs. But this year, I think there's a lot of those teams that have their own picks, and you know your pick is going to be 22nd and higher, where you might say, 
hey, look, uh, Jeff Green or, you know, whoever, David West, or I'm just throwing out random names, pretty good guy X might tilt the balance for us in a meaningful yes. way. And and my pick is going to be 25th and the average 25th pick returns, you know, bench player Y. What the hell? And I think Kufus in a future first. Now they already owe Cleveland a first. So it would have to be two years after that, which would probably make it a 2019 pick. Uh, which isn't the most enticing thing in the world, but Kufus plus that is going to get you something. And I think yeah. that's a fascinating internal debate because you have already one pick out the window to Cleveland and you know Zebo's old, Gasol's turning 30, and you have to transition this franchise into the next era. Do you want to forfeit another pick? And and B, Kufus is good. And you can lose a playoff game. Now, there's, I don't care how good you are. If you're only playing 15 minutes a game, you're not that valuable, which is what Dallas concluded with Brandon Wright. But in the playoffs, you can lose a game in the 10 minutes that Marcus Gasol sits if your backup is Sam D'Alembert or whatever instead of Kufus. You can, that can lose you a game. And if, you, if it loses you a game, it can lose you a series. It's, it's fascinating to me. Sorry, well, I just rambled. No, it was great. Two things about Kufus. One, um, really cheap contract and a contract that Cleveland can just absorb because they have the trade exception for it. You mentioned Cleveland owns Memphis's pick. They could just make a trade where Cleveland says, hey, here's your pick back. Or they could throw Oklahoma City's pick at them that they just got, um, which I, I really think Cleveland got that Oklahoma City pick because they want to move that somewhere else. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Either they, they, they want to move, they want they know they're going to have to move a pick and now they have two up. picks to move. And yeah. we know who the big guys are. It's, it's Kufus. It's Brandon Wright, who has not looked good on the Celtics so far. Uh, Sam Dallenbear is on the waiver wire. We've seen Sam Dallenbear's act on 35 teams. Uh, you go on down the line. It's, it's just, there's not a lot. Mozgov, maybe. I, I mean, he's, Seems like he plays minutes for Denver. It's 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 not a ton of options unless you think KG is going to get bought out. But KG would never play with LeBron. So I I think there's some form of Kufus to Cleveland, and then what does Memphis get back? They'd obviously want it'd be a three teamer with somebody, and that's where I think you know you got to look at the usual suspects for that and what they need. I also think we talked about Portland, but Tomb's been playing terrible all season. I mean, his defense is still fine, but it's it just he's in the all-time shooting slump. And at some point, Portland's going to have to decide if they need protection for him for four rounds because they're not going to win the title with him missing seventy percent of his three-point shots. I don't think. Well, that's again, that's that's where they would look. They would look at a wing who helps them, and that's why I've mentioned a guy like Wilson Chandler or pick your Denver guy for them because um, I think Denver people around the league tell me that Denver has begun to communicate. Okay we're done and we're going to start to look at what's available to us because we're not making the playoffs this year. Um, which we you know, also have a flalo on that team too, right? Yeah. He's and an he's expiring. A, yeah. Semi expiring with the player option. He'll probably turn down. Um, so there's going to the people are going to look at deals like this. And I think you just nailed Portland. I think it's, it, it's not just Batum. It's that I just don't think they're ready to trust the CJ McCallum, Allen no. Crab, Will Barton, Darrell Wright. No. I mean, all those guys go in and out of the rotation already. They're not. They don't want to play those guys big playoff minutes yet. Um, well, yeah. and Nate Robinson, I think, is an intriguing trade piece. As weird as that sounds, that's somebody that could come in and swing a game for a playoff team. We've seen him do it before. I think uh, you look at kind of the young deep teams. 
Orlando, like Mo Harkless barely plays for them though. That's somebody I would take a flyer on if I if I was one of these teams. Like could could that guy at least like be a, a long arm swing man who could guard some people? I don't know. Milwaukee has a million of those guys. I'm well, sure they trade same. one of them. The Sanders situation kind of throws that into chaos. I think I think John Henson was a really interesting trade candidate. Yeah. Until the Sanders situation blew up because they just have so many big guys. Now a lot of them are hurt or in Sanders' case, whatever. Um but Henson in the last ten days, I'm writing about him tomorrow, so I'm I'm spoiling it a little bit, but he's playing he's playing him. he's playing decent and, and any guy who's that long and can protect the rim. Is, has interest like all those teams that I you know we talked about Phoenix needs another big any team that needs another yeah. big was looking at him and I think Milwaukee was ready to say two seconds and we'll call it a day with John Henson we just are not going to be able to find him minutes here and now that's that's changed with Sanders but yeah you know it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting trade season but uh that's the guy I wanted Henson for the Celtics during the three-week stretch when I thought the Celtics were too housekeeping trades away from maybe making a run at like the six seed. It's like, Oh, John Henson, he's not playing. Um, he's somebody that you know what he can do. I always like the guys in the NBA that you know what they can do. Like John Henson's like, I know what he can do. He protects the rim. It's a, that's what he does. He's good. The, Harkl- the Harkless thing in Orlando is bizarre to me. And I know that they, and they have some issues with him as, as a player, but, um, I mean, you're, they were playing Willie green, early in the season now they're playing ben gordon um who's actually shot well for them and, and kind of made all of a, it kind of like semi-justified the dumb contract they gave him or the the ridiculous contract in terms of money that they outbid nobody for him um but mo harkless last year like showed me some signs like he started making a decent number of his threes he started working off the dribble a little bit like just enough to make you think he might be able to do something as a player I don't. I, I absolutely agree that if I were another team and I saw them down on him, I would be trying to get him on the cheap. Like, I, maybe he's a bad dude. I don't know, but um, I, I I liked the what I saw from him over the last thirty games, and I don't quite understand what's happened to him. And that's somebody maybe you can steal. I mean, you look at how Orlando they they took Fournier for a flalo. I thought that was a bad trade at the time, and now it's clear Fournier. You know, definitely an NBA rotation guy. I'd rather have him at his price than a Flalo at his place when he's leaving anyway. Um, Harkless is kind of in that it, one of those guys. He feels like a guy that the Spurs are going to sneak a, sneak him away from Orlando for a second round pick, and you're like, oh no, oh no, they did it again. You know, and then all it of a sudden he's going to make it through the playoffs. It doesn't always work for the Spurs though. Austin Day. You know, I mean, the Spurs, the Spurs have their share of misses. Do you know what uh, I, my theory on Austin Day? I think they knew he was terrible. They don't, they don't want to bat a hundred percent on these. You think I that think was sa- self-sabotage? Yeah, I think they have to put a couple stunt ones in. It's like, oh, and <laughs> when then people, people trade with the Spurs, they're like, well, they're not always right. They went after Austin Day. I think they knew he stunk. That's, that's a theory. great. That's a great yeah. theory. I Even Richard about Jefferson. I think they threw Richard Jefferson all that money just to throw everyone off their scent. For their for their 2012 2013, well, they had run. they had to pay a pick to get rid of him though. That's the Festus Azili pick, I think, that they gave Golden State. Well, um, speaking of that, last thing, and then we got to go. Doc the GM, Doc the GM. The trade sequence for Eric Bledsoe has to rank among one of the worst trade sequences. That it wasn't that big of a deal, but kind of was. They Bledsoe trade him away for JJ Redick and Jared Dudley when it became clear a little bit later, they could have just 
there could have been a better way to get J.J. Redick without giving up Eric Bledsoe, but they really thought Jared Dudley, I think, was going to help them, and I did too. Buries him, doesn't play him the whole year, or played him for some of the year, gave up on him. Trades him to Milwaukee with a future pick to get him off the cap so they don't have to pay the luxury tax, even though somebody just paid $2 billion for their team. And now Jared Dudley has been a really valuable role player for the Bucs. He's also a good chemistry guy. And the Clippers just have a black hole at small forward. And also, they, Reggie Bullock was a miss. C.J. Wilcox was a miss. They don't have their first-round pick this year. They won't have. They lose the future first-rounder for Jared Dudley. This is a team that basically is going to go through the decade without a good draft pick. Yeah, I mean, they they're going they're in the tax right now. They traded him because of the hard cap situation. That that's came what in I meant. Yes, yeah, sorry about yeah. that. Um, but uh, look, the Bledsoe thing. I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, the Reggie Jackson thing kind of falls under this category too. Is like it's it, it's awkward because you're never going to get the full value out of that guy because you have someone who's so good at his position already. And you yeah. can play them together and maybe it'll work, but maybe it won't. How you handle that situation is really interesting because you're never those you're just never going to get equal talent when you're trading from that kind of position where it's like a, where you have this positional overlap and you need to just move on. You're never going to get equal talent or it's very hard to get equal talent. And I don't know what the right answer is, but um, it's 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 an I, I would imagine those discussions are really fun to have within a team. It's like, should we just hold on to the guy because he's awesome and just have him on our team and figure it out yeah. later? Um, it's it's interesting. Can we at least agree that Eric Bledsoe and a future round pick future first round pick for J.J. Redick wasn't a good trade? Uh, y- y- yeah, I mean. Eric Bledsoe was really, trade, really good. That trade, that trade hurts. And I mean, JJ Redick is really good. JJ Redick's really good. I like JJ Redick. I actually, have, I was arguing with uh, my Clipper fan friend Jesse who sits at the game. Who makes more sense for them to trade, JJ Redick or Jamal Crawford? And we both agree. Like to me, no question, you keep JJ Redick over Jamal Crawford. I think they have to trade Jamal Crawford if they want to seriously contend for the title. Because I don't think there's a Clipper fan alive who thinks that they have a chance to win four straight playoff rounds when they play those specific five guys at crunch time. And, all right, so which one has to get traded then? You're not trading Chris, you're not trading Blake, you're not trading DeAndre. Now it's JJ versus Jamal. It's like, well, we can't trade Jamal. Okay, well, those are your five guys then, and you just told me you can't win four straight playoff rounds with those guys as your crunch time guys. So what do you do? And and also, like, what's the market for Jamal Crawford? Like, he's an expiring, and you'd have to trade him a contender. You know, it's just I, I, they're stuck with the team they have and they have no draft picks and no expiring contract. And this is their team. Well, DeAndre is an expiring contract. I mean, that's an interesting conversation. Mm. I don't think they're going to move him. But that's that's mm. the if you really conclude you're not good enough. That's the interesting conversation. Now, it's a conversation that's too late because you're not going to get anything great for him. On an expiring car, or maybe I don't know. You get something. I mean, the team that would get him would value his bird rights because he might be a max player. As crazy as that sounds, um, yeah, they they don't. They're look. They're already out. Fifteen first round picks, seventeen first round picks. So they're not going to have you know two consecutive firsts for a long time, and that hurts. And I don't think it's any secret. Kevin Arnovitz wrote a really great piece about Doctor GM kind of starting behind the eight ball a little bit and. Stan Van Gundy, the GM, just cut Josh Smith when there were other ways to just get Josh Smith out of your team. And then, by the way, the other thing with Josh Smith, not to go on and on, but (laughs) to go to go on and on is like 
everyone's like, oh, well, this is like gives them a, sh- a shot to repair the relationship with Greg Monroe. Well, that's like just max Greg Monroe out then. Yeah, like if, if, if you're if you're going to pay Josh Smith a gazillion dollars over the next, you know, four or five years just to get rid of him. And then you're going to try and pay Greg Monroe to mend the relationship. Just pay him to begin with and, and get it out of the way. I it's like the, that. It, 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 it's, it's a nice storyline, but it doesn't really make sense anyway. Sorry. I thought uh, I liked the Houston signing of Josh Smith right until the point where they promised him he could start. And then my shit detector went off. I don't think you should promise anyone they're going to start. That's not one of your best three players. And it sets, I just thought that was a mistake. I didn't like that. It was three years. Um, I think they should have put in his contract that every time he took a three, he was, he, his contract went down by a hundred thousand dollars. (laughs) And I think, I think the players association might have a problem. They would have a problem with that wrinkle, (laughs) but, uh, you watch him play. He took 20 shots in 26 minutes. I don't think that's what they signed up for. And then you think like Daryl, the guy who hates long twos more than anyone in the league, like literally more than anyone. He created the mentality to hate long twos and now has the guy who fires up more bad long twos than anyone in the league. But he hasn't been though for them. He hasn't been. I think it's only one year deal, by the way. I don't think it's three, but I, have I to thought recheck. it was three. I have to check. Um, it's for the biannual, but I think it was only for one. I know he hasn't been firing him up in Houston, but it's it's in there. It's in his DNA. He loves the long twos. I I defend the signing. I just I thought Josh Smith was going to be a little more. Hey man, I just want to set some picks and help out. And he came in like, Hey, I'm Josh Smith. Give me the ball. I'm going to run, get the rebound, and run fast breaks instead of James Harden. It's like, what are you doing, Josh Smith? You're Josh Smith. Yeah, and Demo's been good for them too. It's not, ah, I'm glad they I moved like Demo. Demo, but you know what? First of all, they gave Mikhail the extension, which, as you noted, was a great, like, sorry, we're bringing this guy in who's going to screw up your team for a little while. Here's right. an extension. And and they moved Demo back into the starting lineup pretty fast, which I thought was good. Um, yes, so, they did. Uh, so much they for have, that promise. Yeah. Um, good yeah. times in the Western Conference, man. But that that uh, the arms race, as they say, is going to continue. Well, this is a great podcast. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot to discuss. What a fascinating year. Uh, Zach Lowe. As always, a pleasure. January 19th, Grantland Basketball Show. Uh, it's coming on right after the Atlanta game on ESPN. I think 5 p.m. Eastern time. Zach Lowe will be in the house for that one. So I look forward can we to just seeing crash, you can we just Can we just casually now? You guys casualed it up last time without me. We can, we can do casual. We can do, you can wear like a nice, you know, sweater or something. God, I hate go wearing a casual. Well, that do, do whatever happy. you want to do. Make it make, go more casual. All right. I'll see All you right. soon. All right, check out Zach on Grantland. Uh, check out the BS Report later in this week, and I have my column coming on Friday with NFL picks and a whole lot more. Until then. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.